This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hi, LSPod fans. It's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin? Sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Love Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! What a good shot! seems to be all the rage in the last few weeks or at least the last couple of weeks that these teams of the decades have emerged across media and we're doing it simply because Swindon did not play this weekend yeah quite I mean we're, we're a slave to content and I think people have been pulling the trigger a bit earlier I think Sky Sports M&F did their team of the decade about um, well we're all doing these teams of the decade and, and things like that of the decade about a month before it actually ends so a bit of early trigger pulling but um, yeah, as you said we've got a free weekend due to Lack of game and, and content needs to be made, so, so let's crack on with ours. Let's fall into a world of nostalgia then. Okay, so we have three lineups to go through a 2010s villain 11, a underrated 11, and the big 11 itself, the 2010s Low Strangers team of the decade, plus some other bits and pieces added in for good measure my thanks to Swindon Town fans on both Twitter and the Town End Forum for their contributions I cannot stress this enough these lineups have been compiled using the levens provided by listeners of the podcast and Town fans so this is where me and Ben we take a step back and say don't blame us Ben will provide his 11 a bit later on but it's not our fault is it Ben no, so uh, I try to I try to be nice and and praise our people's selections and uh, you know spoiler alert I think they've done pretty well generally but yeah there's a, there's a few changes and I try not to be uh, too mean to uh, the, the viewers who have been very kind in providing opinions and, and names. Now this podcast loves talking to former and present Swindon Town players and representatives. The notion of a worst eleven is not really my vibe. It's not how I like to do things. I see the best in most people. But the demand for a rubbish 11 on social media was so strong 
that I gave into it. And we've gone for a Villain eleven, And the Villain eleven was supposed to be, you know, players that might have annoyed us or frustrated us because we knew their potential, but they didn't live up to it. But I think with respect to the uh, Great Swindon public, they have absolutely ignored you, I think. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first or last time. Okay, let's go through <laughs> this 11 then. So this is the Low Strangers Villain 11 of the 2010s, as picked by you, the listeners, or those who contributed. Thank you very much. So in goal, Mattia Lanzano. Yeah, I think uh, goalkeeper's been pretty difficult. I think we'll get on to it when we talk about the best 11 that we've had, I think, over the past decade. We've Generally, had pretty solid and, and long um, seven keepers in the, in the um, shape of Fotheringham and Viguri. So I think we've been slightly spoiled in a way of goalkeepers. I don't think there's any, or there's not too many drastically bad ones. I think there's a few dodgy backups like like Lanzano, like Reese Charles Cook. But yeah, Lanzano had a very brief period. I think was supposed to be number one under Tacanio, given the number one shirt. Didn't get in. I think maybe injured at the start, and Phil Smith got a, got a bit, and then Smith didn't start great, and Lanzano got back in. But then there was such bad displays like him as one of Burton Albion where he's dallied on it for ages and, and lost the ball and then I think the only home game I remember him seeing was Hereford who went down that year and he conceded three and a three all draw so he didn't play too many games and there's a lot of rotation to Kanye Zero as we all know and, and he was a not a very successful keeper but I think generally we've been spoiled and I think a, a rubbish keeper is a, one of the harder choices I think. Okay right back we've got Brandon Ormond Ottawill now obviously you're going to go into how he played for Swindon but was it because he came to Swindon with so much hype that made it that little bit worse for him to live up to that potential? Yeah, I'm not sure how much hype there was. I think maybe just because people saw X Arsenal and that sort of thing, maybe there's a bit of hype. But, you know, I, I certainly didn't see hype until I read a, a Michael Calvin book about scouting that, you know, Brandon was once considered the next Ashley Cole in Arsenal's uh, youth academy, and anyone that's seen him for Swindon will disagree with that. So, didn't quite work out. And, uh, and yeah, not, not ideal for him, but clearly a bad time and I think sadly for him he sort of epitomised that that relegation year in the sense that Powers recruitment didn't quite go um, well and he saw the recruitment made sense but it didn't quite work out in practice and you know, Powers got a pretty decent ace track record of, of finding those non-league gems or um, players that have been released from big clubs and he's fixing up so you know when Power might have seen things like you know ex-Arsenal and maybe next Ashley Cole might have seen oh, we've got a real gem here in, in Ormond Ottawa and you know it, it didn't work out and, and so it proved and he sort of summed that up at left back, Chris Hussey. Ben, remind me why we hate Chris Hussey. I think you're going to have to tell me, Rich. We're going to have to ask the listeners because uh, I'm not sure he really merits a place in in this team. I think he was a perfectly good left back, and then he got injured. And you know, I, I don't think I can go into it too much, but I don't think he was quite as injured as he was. It kept him out for that long time. I think Flickcroft was trying to offload him, so I'm not sure quite why people hate him so much, but. You know, uh, Cheltenham came to town recently in the FA Cup and he's booed, so clearly there's something lingering there. But I think this is one of the few names in this team that I can see that I'm not really sure merits a place, but clearly he is hated for some reason. He got the votes at centre-back. <laughs> the first centre-back is Chris Robertson. Yeah, not a lot of positive things I can say here. I'm not trying to be too uh, mean because, you know, you might want to get these people on the on the show. And, yep. and Chris Robertson uh, is probably a nice, very nice man and, and probably a good talker. They make a good podcast, but... Uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a very happy spell, and Flickoff didn't have the best recruitment, and, and Robertson was you know victim of that. I think he came in, signed a signed a two year deal, expected to be a real leader. I think he won promotion with Torquay, 
quite a few years back and I think that was one of the early flick-off signings that we all thought, you know, this could be a player that, um, that is bleeding that's in the need and could could start a, a new uh, movement for the club and sadly didn't work out because uh, it was not very good. No, the other centre-back <laughs> was Alberto Camazzi. Yeah, shame for this one. I, th- I think I think Alberto, I think, again, it's one of those where you see, you know, ex-AC Milan trainee and you think, oh, bloody hell, I, I, I was managed to attract one of those and that's all, that was exciting from the off and he looked a bit of like a hard man and could be a lot of fun under Di Canio, but sadly didn't prove too fruitful. And, you know, he, he's quite unlucky. We had, we had a lot of good centre-backs that year and Aidan Flint and Alan McCormack after he got moved and Joe Deere and people, people like that. So I think Kamatsi was a, a tad unlucky, but he, he wasn't great. And the only get any sort of real contribution I can remember from him is him getting sent off um, and him to Rotherham in a 3-2 win. So, so yeah, not a, not great, even though it was quite a short spell for him. I think this is a 4-4-2, but in the centre midfield, the first one, Harry Agumba. Yeah, again, I'm not sure how much of a, of a villain he can be, but certainly he was a, a, a banter figure around the club and, and still is with, uh, seemed to be, seemed to come from the club from, I don't know, dodgy contacts or a very good age and something like that, and, and just seemed to exist and, and never play. And, and then he famously got the one game against Orient, which I'm, I'm very disappointed I, I didn't see now. I would have liked to have seen Harry Gumbar's one and only appearance at the club. So, so, yeah, I think Villain was pushing it, but, you know, this is a bit of a, not worst 11, a bit of a, you know, a nuanced 11 in terms of uh, weird and banterous figures and people like that. And, and Gumbar certainly fits into that because he was, uh, you know, a figure of fun around the club during his time. And I think that's, that's still going, I think. I saw his one and only appearance for Swindon and... I think if you probably looked at his stats, they're very good because there was a lot of sideways passing very close to him and then he looked absolutely exhausted before he got substituted. <laughs> I think he's in because of potentially why he was at the club, isn't it, without wanting to go into too much detail. But we'll move on to the other centre midfielder. Well, there's actually three centre midfielders in here. But the next one is David Prutton. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think he's got a lot of fame on this podcast for the members of the 2010-11 uh, squad. Basically saying he's quite a disruptive figure and there's a, the click with the Leeds lads with Lucas and Chin and that sort of thing. So, yeah, he wasn't exceptional as a player. Wasn't I? Don't think he was the worst sentiment I've ever had or anything like that. I think he was you know, fine, nothing special. But I think he came with a bit more of a, a reputation from his days at Leeds, and I think he was quite good there. And people expected a lot more from um, Price, and he didn't quite live up to it. So, but I think he's obviously mostly not liked for didn't seem to you know really care about the club. Or, and, and and like I said, like I said, even players from that time um, have got the same opinions as the fans. So. So yeah, a, a worthy place is definitely a villain at 11. It's probably the first you know, genuine villain uh, in the 11 rather than just you know, not great players. The next midfielder, I think this is meant to be a 4-4-2, but if he's on the right, he's out of position, which perhaps adds to his woes, is Anton Rogers. You know, another shame, I think, yeah, power made a habit of you know, getting contacts from famous people in, in during the uh, you know, 16, 17 season, things like that. I think we had, you know, uh, Gareth Barry's cousin and, and Brenda Rogers' son. So, yeah, maybe a bit of a, an iffy one in terms of why he was signed, but clearly wasn't great and, you know, wasn't, didn't really affect much. He did the odd, very nice free kick against, you know, Orient and Bradford, but apart from that, didn't really do much, a lot of sideways passes and not all of them reached players in red. So, yeah, not, not a brilliant signing and, and so it's proved by his career post and the likes of Hungerford and, and police like that. So, you know, he did always feel like a, a non-league player in a League One team. And, and sadly, that's proved um, since he's left. 79 appearances for Swindon and six goals and only 16 were from the bench. And that's the review of him. Anton, if you want to talk, get in touch. On the left, though he's probably more of a forward, 
is Henrik Oyama. Yeah, I think um, a lot. I probably expected him again. I think he was quite a, a fun name. Not many Estonians turn up at the country ground, so that was always a, a nice niche in Estonian international. I think he's still. I think he's played for Estonia since leaving Finland. So there's, there's talent there somewhere. Um, I think he's been in Holland and Scotland. So I think there's a decent player somewhere. But yeah, Sven were trying to divide from a three-five-two to a four-three-three and keep a second season, and it absolutely didn't work with you know not great signings like Ajama and, and Jeremy Balmy and, and people like that. So. Yeah, I think another case of um, people expecting a bit more from him and didn't really deliver. And, and I only saw a handful of games that season because I was at uni and, and one was a pretty turgid um, loss. At, and then really dire straits, Blackpool, and he wasn't very impressive in that either. So, so yeah, not a great signing as Svinan tried to um, move for, in, 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 into a different um, style and system. Well, if any of you are surprised with any of the selections thus far, I don't think there's going to be major surprises with the two up front. One bang to rights, the other one... I think it's a bit harsh, but we'll let's we'll start with our number nine. <laughs> it's Leon Clark. Yeah, I think the absolute definition of a um, villain isn't, isn't Leon. I think you know a lot of hope. Finn is well, number nine, uh, literally given the number nine shirt, and and looked okay in that derby against Oxford, uh, shot wide, but you know clearly all things went wrong in that infamous cup tie against Southampton, where there was a bit of a minor scuffle or, or more than a minor scuffle and, and uh, yeah, definitely wrote himself in, in for me with that and Swindon were national news for not a good reason and not for the first time and not for the last but <laughs> but not, not a good not a good time for, for him and, and the club really and that is quite an embarrassing period even though it is quite um, funny and memorable and all that so, you know, clearly not a bad striker he's done quite well and I think he's Premier League now every night even though he doesn't get in much but um, clearly a talented striker but attitude is not great and doesn't want to run, so uh, definitely a, a worthy place for a villain 11. And our final member of this 11 is John Obika, and feedback suggests that this is the case pretty much purely because he joined Oxford United after leaving town. Yeah, that sense is valid, and, and I'm not a fan of people not rating players because they join clubs that they don't like or do things, you know, in a personal life that they don't like. I think you should still remember the player that they were, and John Abika was was good, but clearly um, a worthy place for the, at least a villain level, 11 because, you know, you, you don't re- reject contracts at Swindon and join Oxford and, and live to remember it. And, and, and so that's a, a worthy place. But I do like John Abika, the footballer, but clearly um, a bad career move if you want to be liked in uh, in Wiltshire. Yep, completely agree. This is a villain 11 and therefore his place is fairly secured, even though I did think he had... A pretty okay Swindon career, but it, everyone's careers went downhill after that relegation season, didn't they? Yeah, and uh, you know, people have got to choose career moves that suit them. And you know, a big I'm not sure if he's living in Swindon, but clearly Oxford isn't far away, and might have a house and, and family and kids in school and that sort of thing. And, and players, mate, he wasn't going to stay in League Two and and and, uh, and not turn down a League One club. So I get that. I don't. I don't really care, but clearly a lot of people do, and I don't blame them for that. So. A worthy place, but I like a football. I'm, I don't really blame him too much, but maybe I shouldn't say that too loudly. <laughs> and leading these merry men is Paul Hart. Yeah, clearly not a great manager. I, I, I would nominate someone else. Everyone would know who that is. But um, yeah, Paul Hart was, had an interim spell. Wasn't very good. So yeah, I think I think we've had a lot of good managers and a lot of bad ones. And, and certainly Paul Hart would fit into the bad ones. And a very boring and bland interim spell for relegation as you know, some strange decisions and playing like a four five one when people when when they're chasing a goal and, and need wins rather than draws, that was uh, not great. And then when your one striker is, you know, a Mike Grella or a Calvin Andrew, you know, baffling decisions and recruitment from Paul Hart during his what was it, six months or, or five months? It was one month. Blimey. It, it, well there you go, it felt a lot longer. So that's that's uh, 
mea culpa on that one, but that probably sends Paul Hart up in a backwards way. March to April 2011, but there were lots of games in that 11. I think it's the fact that Paul Hart came in to do what he did the year before at Crystal Palace, so the logic was there with from Fitton, but Lightning doesn't strike twice. I compiled the votes. I will go as far as saying it was a very close run thing with David Flickcroft, but Paul Hart just about... Two or three votes got him the manager position. I would go for the other one. I don't. I don't. Um, you know, resent the choice. I think Paul Hart was was not good, but I'll go for the other one. I think he did more damage. But um, but that is my opinion, and mine is not counted just yet. So that's that's fine by me. <laughs> Let's have a break from the elevens and talk about kits. We put this out there as well. The three kits we went for. We went for a home kit, away kit, and a third kit. The winner of the home kit was the 2011-12 League 2 title shirt. The away kit of the decade was the Boca Juniors of 2012-13, but there were quite a lot of different nominations spread across the board on that one. And the third kit of the decade is the purple Derby Rimmer of the 2019-20 season just sneaking in there. Ben, do you agree with these? Yeah, I think, I think I'll start with the home. I think I definitely there's been any, any outstanding home shirts in the past decade. There's quite a few... Nice ones. I don't think there's any terrible ones, but I don't think there's any standout knockout. I love that shirt. I think there's quite a few that, you know, kits are quite strange. And you, I think you, you just like a lot of shirts because they remind you of nice times. So I, the 2910 uh, shirt is a nice shirt and, and it obviously reminds us of playoff years. And I think the 2011 12 is probably the best. I think it's just a nice classic kit. And obviously, you know, a league title win everyone remembers. So, so yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I, I definitely there's any knockout choice. But I think 2011 12 is a perfectly nice and reminds us all of a arguably the best season um of the past 10 years yeah absolutely away kit i think that i think this is a completely opposite i think there's been absolutely loads of really nice away kits i think we've absolutely smashed it or the, the kit manufacturers have smashed it over the past decade and a lot of them have been really good i agree with pocket juniors being the best one i think the inter milan um style kit from a few years ago was very nice i even like the green one from the flick off season there's been you know a lot of a lot of really nice ones and the black one from 15 16 there's a real strong um, contenders for away kit and I think Boca Juniors is, is probably the best and then you know third kit I think we've only had two really but the the 2019-20 probably edges it because it's in in um, form of charity and, and funds go to the W Rimmer Foundation so that's great but I have to say I love the um, pink shirt from 14-15 as well so I would have had that as well we could have two of those be yeah, a lot of a lot of really nice aways and, and two very good third shirts as well that's Thompson again oh Beaker could be in here but well, what an entrance! That one crept over the line, and that seals top spot for Swindon, no doubt. Okay, back to the 11s. Our second squad of the podcast is the underrated team of the decade. We can have lots of fun with this. I've really enjoyed these nominations, actually. Lots of votes going across the board. There was also some votes that came into this one that also went into the team of the decade as well. So how does one define underrated? I'm not really sure. I just put the question out there. There was no real criteria beyond your, the listeners' opinions. Ben, what do you consider underrated? Yeah, it's hard to define. I think I think it's just probably norm- normally in my definition, people that I rate that others don't. So uh, that's a lot of people normally. So so yeah, I think it's hard to define. But I think the, I wouldn't have wanted to do this list because uh, I probably couldn't think of many people that deserve the claim underrated so so yeah I'm, I'm glad this is handed over to the listeners and and looking at the 11 in front of me they've they've done quite well I think there's quite a good few nominations in here and 
and a lot that I agree with. Yeah, this this side is doing well in a season, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few weak spots, but generally I think there's a, it's a pretty decent um, team, I think, and there's definitely some some gems in there that could be sold on for a big fee. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a it's a not it's not a bad team, I think. They, 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 they've done quite well, the listeners. Let's look at that team then. So in goal for the underrated eleven is Phil Smith. Yeah, a difficult position. I think, we, as we said, we've either had good goalkeepers or, or bad ones and I've had a lot of good ones. And Phil Smith, I think, is probably more underrated from my side. I think there was a time during you know, 20, uh, 2009-10 that you basically have a team Lucas or, or team Smith and I was, I was team Lucas. So I probably gave um, Smith not a lot of credit that he deserved. And I, that's probably... Uh, I, I could nominate this keeper for underrated because I, I wasn't very nice to him during my development years at Swindon so a good choice of keeper um, as good as anyone because he was a, a good servant had some great moments most of them in penalty shootouts and, and was um, important during the 0-9-10 season and you know the early parts of 11-12 and, and onwards Number two at right back Kevin Amankwa who's defining moment for Swindon for me was, was that penalty in the shootout at Charlton when he was getting plenty of stick just about scored and then he went rah and and I think the reason why it's so defining for me is when he was walking down, I was like, well, he's missed it. He's going to miss. It's Kevin Amankwa. He doesn't score goals. He's going to miss, but he stuck it in. And I loved him ever since. So congratulations, Kevin. You're in the underrated 11. I think, I think right back is the um, you know, the ultimate position for underrated. I'm sure, it, well, I've got no doubt if we're doing this in 10 years' time, I'll have Rob Hunt stuck it right back on this <laughs> one. So, um, so yeah, I, I think Kevin Amankwa was a, a perfectly fine right back. Good, good going forward and defensively. Like you said, contributed to one incredibly key moment. I think he scored a, a 90th minute level against Charlton during that, during that same season. So, yeah, a good shift, perfectly good right back, and I can't think of anyone that you know was was criminally underrated at right back. So perfectly fine choice for me there. At left back, we have Lex Sean Francois. Yeah, I don't really have any strong opinion on Lex Sean Francois. I think he's just one of those uh, useful squad players to have around during um, 09-10. So yeah, I think it was, it was good. He could cover at left back and centre back, which is always useful in a League One squad when you don't have you know a full squad quite a lot of the time. So you know, a nice player to have around wasn't absolutely terrible. Was perfectly fine and. And I think probably, again, the absolute definition of someone that's underrated, just so he's not a star player, but, but people like that you need around a team. Let's go with the centre-backs now. So the first centre-back is Scott Cuthbert. Yeah, I think both of these centre-backs are good nominations. And we'll get on to the second one in, in, in a minute. But, um, but yeah, I think both of them are good nominations because they're both great centre-backs. And we've had so many good ones, especially during Scott Cuthbert's time. And, and he was very good during that playoff year. And then... You know, there's there's quite a lot of centre backs that get praised during during um during our time in, in future years, and Scott Scott Cuthbert kind of gets forgotten um, because of how good he was and, and was definitely key um, during that playoff year and, and was always useful uh, going forward as well. And the next centre back is Joe Devera. Yeah, again, a, a, a great player to have around. Could could fill in at, at right back as well um, when Callis or someone like that was injured. So, yeah, unlucky for him. I think he's meant to be. I think it was Decanio's first signing and maybe uh, Decanio was being hyperbolic, but I think at the time he, he wanted to say that Jitter was going to be captain uh, and was going to lead the club going forward. But then, you know, Flint was really good at the start and McCormick got moved to centre-back and Joe Devere kind of got pushed out a little bit and Oliver Rissa filled in as well. So I think Joe Devere was unfairly treated for what was a very good lead to centre-back and he, I think he was still around for League One as well, wasn't he? So he was a very important player to have around and, and you know, like if there was an injury to Flint or McCormick then Devere could step in and you wouldn't notice there was a key player missing. So, yeah, very good player to have around during that um, Ducanio regime. We move into midfield now and we'll start in the centre midfield. Tommy Miller. I think he's very good as a centre mid. Again, uh, undervalued because people like Simon Ferry, who he, he got a lot of attention during that time. And, and Tommy Miller was a good um, partner for that. And 
and, and defensive and, and organised the team. And, and I think it came with a lot of hype from Huddersfield, uh, helped them get promoted, I think, and didn't quite produce those levels, but we're still very good to have around. And, and you know, as part of a team that got to the uh, League One semi-final playoffs and, and was very good on that. Yeah, a, a very good, again, a very good squad player, very good first teamer as well. And, and did a shift his caretaker manager for a bit, so he was committed to the cause as well. Also in the centre is Ben Gladwin. Yeah, funny one, Ben Gladwin. I think Ben Gladwin, when he's good, is underrated. I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people don't think of how good he was during 14-15, um, but I think a lot of people remember more when he was not very good during 16-17 and, and you know, it was very annoying during that spell when he was just shooting from 20 yards every time. He scored, <laughs> he scored one goal and then would do for the next 20 attempts, and that was, that was frustrating. But I think Ben Gladwin, when he was good, was, was very good and wasn't considered a key member of that 14-15 team by, by many fans. You know, he, he got moved about a lot as well as a centre mid and number 10, even did a stint left wing back where he got an assist against Notts County. So, so yeah, I, I think he was very good and definitely a good Ben Gladwin is underrated and a, a bad Ben Gladwin is uh, probably overrated. There were 10 minutes against Sheffield United where he looked like an absolute world beater, wasn't there, in the 5-5? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and, and definitely got a few headlines of that uh, famous uh, second goal of his, and the first one was a, a nice tap-in where he had to be in the right place as well. So, so yeah, and I think a lot of people forget he was quite good in the second leg as well. We not only Mr. Penalty, but was still very good in that... Sorry, in, in the first leg, Mr. Penalty was still good in that first leg. So, yeah, very good uh, when he's on telly and needed to be good and probably helped him with that move to QPR. Not quite gone well for him post then, but I think he's, there's definitely a, a player there, and I think underrated is, is a good term for Ben, but... There's definitely uh, two sides to Ben Gladwin, I think. We don't really talk about goals in this one, but I would say maybe his first against Sheffield United might be my favourite goal of the decade. Nice weather, great game, hell of a finish, town end packed, lovely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And an iconic commentary line to go with it as well, which a lot of people quote on a daily basis, which they they very much should do as well. So yeah, very a very famous goal and a very famous game. And, and uh, definitely thanks for that goal, because that was a, a lot of fun. On the right, it's John Paul McGovern. Yeah, I love I love this shout. I think he's a very good um, player during during that time, and was one of my favourites of that squad. Actually, and was always um, was always good, and one of the few decent players in that um, relegation season as well. I remember uh, a game against Notts County, were going down. I think he got an overhead uh, bicycle kick assist to, to Matt Ritchie. So uh, that that was very impressive, and. And uh, yeah, I think he's a great player to have around, great winger and definitely does get forgotten a bit because of the likes of Matt Ritchie and, and people like that um, followed, you know, a year or two later. So yeah, a great shot for underrated and, and definitely one of the people that, that absolutely fits that target in this team. On the left, joined as a centre forward, but played most of his time out there. It's Rafael De Vita. Yeah, I think another good shot for underrated. Definitely, um, Dikanyo had some problems with the left wing, uh, unlike him during 2011-12 <laughs> Had a lot of players that position, but Davito was probably the the most used um, until Luke Rooney and Lee Holmes came in in January. So he is very good during that first half of the season and chipped in even when the new players came in in the second half and was still getting games in, in the League One season as well. So a very good player for a somewhat unorthodox um, left wing that got moved there and, and adapted very well. So yeah, definitely um, a worthy place in an underrated eleven for a, a player who absolutely did his bit in a very good team. Yeah, I thought his second season was arguably stronger than the first as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's surprising, but uh, yeah, he did very well in League One. I think it might have been because he um, you know, it had adjusted that much to, to left wing. He was capable of playing it then, but he was, he was no no bad player in, in League Two either. So yeah, a very good, impressive two years from, from Rafa De Villa. Let's move into the forward line then. Two players who are playing at a higher level than Swindon now. One of them probably fits in the team of the decade for a couple of others. Not the most underrated one, that's for sure. Our number nine is James Collins. 
a good shout for Swindon under eight eleven now. I think uh, you know mm. they've had again a lot of good strikers um, over the past decade, and not one that's considered one of the best. And I think that's a shame because I think we only got one season out of him, and he was very good for that one season. But sadly, Hibs came in with a very good offer, and Swindon couldn't turn it down. So I think if Collins stayed about for a bit longer, he would definitely be one of the best, if not the best, from from the decade. He was he was very good for that one season, but sadly we only got one year out of him. So. Underrated is a, is a good is a good description because he, he doesn't have that you know legend status like Austin or or people like that or jokes or people like that. So yeah, he's very good and, and obviously everyone remembers that game against Portsmouth, whereas nil nil he came on as a sub, scored four, assisted the other, and we won five nil. So definitely the best individual display I've ever seen from a Swindon player came from James Collins. His exit was budget related though, wasn't it? And I think it's still remarkable when you think. James Collins was a goal scorer before Swindon and he certainly was a goal scorer after Swindon as well. Now an international goal scorer at that. And out of his just over 50 appearances for Swindon, 22 came from the bench, which is just remarkable when you think. He's he's one of the lower leagues players of the decade, forward-wise, I would say, James Collins, because of his prolific nature. But we had our chance and it didn't go to plan. Yeah, I think he was... I'm not sure if he's top scorer, but he's he's very good for Shrewsbury during that 11 12 season. So I think he scored against us as well. So that, that was um, yeah a very a very good advert for him to buy. He's great on that League One season. Uh, you know, left for Hibs. I don't think it quite worked in Scotland, and then he came back to England and was sensational for Luton and scored a lot of goals against us. Uh, certainly, and he's still there in the Championship. So see, so yeah, I really wish he stuck around for another year, but you know, clearly Swindon were struggling. I think Hibs was it 250 grand or something like that. It's a very good offer from Hibs, uh, which you don't turn down if you're a League One club with. We struggle, so yeah, I really wish we got more, at least one more year or, or a couple of years more out of James Collins. Absolutely, and uh, his place in the eleven is is worth it. Just when we think about how angry Shrewsbury were when he signed for Swindon. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> he can't can't go wrong with anger in the club. So yeah, uh, very good, very good nomination from the listeners for that one. <laughs> and the final player in this eleven, he played seventy two times, scored twenty six goals. A huge 2014-15 season. It was Michael Smith. Yeah, I like this one a lot as well. I remember Smith got a lot of grief, even when he was very good. And I remember reading forums and people saying he, he didn't have a good first touch. And you know, he's a League One target man. What do you expect? I mean, that's that's two things you don't expect a good first touch from. And he didn't have one, but he, he was very good. He's very good in in the box and a magic goal against Bristol City, where he had about five uh, good first touches and and finally shot and, and scored a, a, another iconic goal for the decade. So, yeah, I, I like Michael Smith a lot and did very well during that 14-15 season where you had Andy Williams, John Abika and him sort of on form at the same time during Christmas and then they all got, got off the ball for a bit and then they all, all go back on form again and he was he was crucial during that running as well and, and put a penalty during the during the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, very very good in that season. I'm glad he got some sort of credit because he, he seemed to be a bit of um, a bit of a boo boy during that um, successful 14-15 season. And the manager of this eleven is Martin Ling, who probably represents a, of what could have been as opposed to being underrated. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think he's I don't think he's underrated, but certainly a, a case of um, what if you know very very good uh, interim spell, but sadly you know personal issues had to call that to an end and, and and you know rightly so for him and no one blames him for that yeah very sad I, I think if I go for more underrated I'd probably suggest Mark Cooper but I might get on to that later but yeah I think it's difficult because I think we've had either really good managers or, or really bad ones and Martin Ling was just a little nice thing in the middle that had to end due to really you know horrible reasons another break before we get into the main 11 and we're going to talk about matches games of the decades plenty of nominations for either side more the the worst matches we'll start with that so inevitably 
the playoff losses come into mind. Swindon nil, Millwall one. Swindon nil, Preston four. The game against Chesterfield at Wembley as well in the Johnson's Paint Trophy. Other nominations, Sheffield Wednesday away 2011. Brentford in the playoffs in 2013, even though for a few moments it was glorious. The loss against Scunthorpe at home, which relegated us in 2017. The loss against Woking last year in 2018. And my personal lowest point of the decade was in April 2015, the back-to-back 3-0 losses against MK Dons and Bristol City, which properly derailed our automatic hopes that year and took us to the playoffs but there's a few there there's probably more but you know when you list these it gets more and more depressing <laughs> can i nominate the entire 27-18 season because even when they were even when the games had a lot of goals i was still bored during during the rest of it <laughs> so yeah I, I and definitely i think if anyone if anything stuck out during that season i'd go for the 4-1 home loss to barnet and the 3-0 to Ooh. crawley it was very that was a bleak, bleak season for me. Um, so yeah, I definitely nominate that entire season practically. So there's definitely a lot of middling bad games in there. But um, yeah, definitely, I think I think right to list the iconic ones, the playoff losses and the, the relegation confirmers and that sort of thing. But I could quite happily put any game from 2017-18, to be honest. <laughs> Let's talk about the positive results, though. Leeds United nil, Swindon Town 3 in April 2010. Both of the games against Charlton Athletic in the playoffs of the same season. Uh, Swindon Town 5, Port Vale nil. That won us the League 2 title in April 2012. There were various games from that season that could have been on that list as well. Stoke City 3, that's Premier League Stoke City 3, Swindon Town 4, August 2013. And then, of course, the 2015 playoffs against Sheffield United. The 2-1 and the 5-5. There have been... Good games after that, maybe not matches of the decade. Well, again, I think it's right to highlight the the playoff wins and, and you know cup wins and that sort of thing. That's all great. I think looking at the list, Wigan isn't on there, but that was, that was a very good that was a very good um, cup win that should be remembered as well. But I think I'll, I'll, I'll nominate some league games, which I, I know people won't like because they're not the most uh, iconic of matches. But you know, it's, it's a forty six game season. If you can't remember some league games, then you know she'd probably. Uh, Take on another sport if you if you don't enjoy any of it. So I think there's been a, quite a few. I remember the the three two home to Macclesfield uh, last in the, on the open day. Not often you see spinning two one down and then win it with two um, penalties in, in second half second half stoppage time. There was you know the three two against Stevenage, which although wasn't you know a classic match, it still is a good match. But I think it was just a, one of the best nights I've had in recent years. We're just celebrating the academy and Selby and Scott Twine. And then there's you know other games as well that, that there's quite a few just middling decent ones in the season that although aren't you know absolutely iconic they are enjoyable and, and fun to remember. I think a top of the table clash at Elland Road and coming off with a th- coming out with a three nil win that takes some beating I think. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't really disagree with that. And I've got to mention in the league one. There's, there's, there's been quite a few four threes at home to Crew. I think even Flickoff had one of them. That's probably one of the few games I enjoyed from him. But I think uh, I think Martin Ling had one, uh, and then there's a I think there's another Martin Ling at home uh, home to Southend when they're two 0 down and one four two. So yeah, like I said, they're not iconic games that people go up, get up on YouTube and that sort of thing. But they were very good and enjoyable games in you know the the difficult winter months that can that can go a bit quicker. Finally for Smith. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. 
Okay, we are at the point where we are going to be listing Swindon Town's Team of the 2000s as nominated by listeners of the Low Strangers podcast. Before we get going, my thanks to Joe STFC, Dan Cole, Jack Tanner, Simon George, Dan Hum, Rob Dinsey, Tom Coward and Terry Pierce for their mini reviews that will be following each player's nomination. There was no major criteria of it other than having played a competitive game during the decade. So sadly, Simon Cox, who got a few nominations hasn't been considered because he left in 2009. <laughs> yeah, that will that will roll you out, but uh, easy mistake to make, I think. So I, I won't blame anyone for that. We'll start with the manager, though. The manager isn't going to surprise you. It is Paolo Di Canio, who managed town for 95 games, winning 54, drawing 18, losing 23. A fantastic goal difference, 153 scored, 76 conceded. He won us our only trophy of the decade. It was our only promotion of the decade, Paolo Di Canio. Yeah, probably the right choice on balance and definitely, as you said, an unsurprising one, definitely a, a fan favourite and people hark back to 2011-12 and 2012-13, you know, pretty much every day. So, uh, <laughs> and, and perfectly perfectly right to do so as well. It was a very, very good two years and, you know, Di Canio was a, a small part in that and, well, not a small part, it was a big part in that and, and being fun himself with his touch on antics and post-match presses and that sort of thing so but he was a good manager in his own right I think he's definitely helped by finances and a chairman that wouldn't say no but he still had to work with them every day and, and do technical structure and that sort of thing so uh, he was very good at that and you know provided a very eventful uh, unforgettable and, and generally quite fun 18 months yeah I wasn't his biggest fan of him generally during his Swindon tenure but Doing this podcast and talking to the people that were managed by him really helped me change my view on him in the sense of it was tough, it was unconventional at times, but the guy knew his stuff and knew how to win games. Yeah, I have to say I'm glad he was around when I wasn't, you know, when I was quite a bit younger and I was 15, 16. So I'm glad he's around during them because I think if he joined tomorrow as a completely new manager, I probably wouldn't be quite so on board with it because my uh, political leanings are not exactly identical to Paolo's and I probably would have had the same you know standoffish approach you know but like some of the early sponsors had and I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it quite as much but you know I was a uh, naive and the world was a better place <laughs> 10 years ago so uh, I'm, I'm glad I can enjoy that and just enjoyed the on-pitch you know behavior rather than rather than some what he gets up to uh, in his personal life and that sort of thing so I'm glad I can just just enjoy the football side of things rather than Paolo Di Canio the man even though him as a as a man impresses and, and that sort of thing was was fun and, and enjoyable. Well, on football terms, he thoroughly deserves his place as manager of this eleven. The other votes, there were only three men nominated for this role. It was Paolo Di Canio, and it was Danny Wilson, and it was Richie Wellens, which didn't include your nomination. I think Mark Cooper's been done really dirty there, and I, I know people don't like it. Don't um, you know, consider him the best, and that's fine. I think that's I, I, I get that, and don't you know hate anyone for that but to not even nominate him was a, is, is harsh I think and you know he's kind of the same as Wilson in terms of he got a playoff final and then struggled the second season so I'm not quite sure why Wilson gets that and Cooper doesn't but you know that's fine people are people <laughs> let's go to the 11 then so in goal it's not a surprising one at all in fact every single 11 that was sent to me included 
Wes Fodderingham, 191 appearances for Swindon. This is what the listeners said. Great shot stopper and good with his feet. For a guy who had never made a league appearance when he joined, he became one of our best players immediately and stayed that way. Changed the way we played as a team as well. Most appearances for any keeper and with us for the champion season and two League One playoff seasons. Consistent and no off-the-pitch issues like Lawrence Vigarou. If anyone has not picked them, they are as crazy as Paolo Di Canio. Well, don't worry, he's very much in there. No real competition here. The standard bearer for modern goalkeeping at town and a profile we're still yet to replace. Our first sweeper-keeper just before it became all the rage. Easy to forget how young and inexperienced Fods was when he solved Di Canio's keeping conundrum and a great all-round keeper 70 clean sheets putting him sixth on the all-time Swindon Town record can only ever remember one bad goal he conceded which was a Walsall at home in 2015 an absolute no-brainer Ben yeah definitely one of the easiest positions in this team of the decade I think you know Vigor was very good and, and long-serving but you know you get the odds I think when Vigor was at his best you get the odds which, which one was better, Fudging or Vigor? And even I, as you know, Rich, who, who adores Vigor, would would do Fudging really easy. It's a, a really easy team of the dec- uh, choice for for team of the decade in goal. So, so yeah, definitely the best keeper we've had over the past ten years. And you know, I, I touched upon a few of the, the listener comments, and, and definitely you know accurate there when he was the first supercoop before game of the rage. And I think definitely kind of use it quite so much. He's he's just a he's a good goalkeeper that could kick during the Kanye season, and then keeper really transformed him into that you know excellent superkeeper and that sort of thing. And and another comment that said he was really inexperienced and, and fixed that keeper conundrum at the beginning of, the, of 2011-12. And that was definitely really accurate too. Because I remember when he was signed, you know, I didn't know who he was, but you look at Wikipedia's and I saw, you know, loans at Histon and Bromley and you think, God, is this, is this the guy that's really going to solve the, the issues we've had so far? And, you know, on his debut, clean sheet away at Accrington and then didn't look back and Swindon, that, that was the beginning of Swindon being, you know, superb during October, November, December, January. So, and almost, you know, broke the clean sheet record. So, you know, absolute no-brainer for, for that choice and um, was definitely the um, kind of the fixer for Di Canio during that, those difficult few months that they got them, you know, back on the right track and was excellent uh, in, in following scenes as well, getting to play off appearances, as people mentioned. So, yeah, I was gutted when he, when he left in 2015 due to the expiration of that contract. Let's move to the defenders then. The first person we'll talk about is the right back and it was a straight shootout at right back really between two people the person that got it might have benefited from the last month or so 94 appearances to date six goals is Paul Caddis who was the other one I suppose that wasn't another night brain who was the other right back that was battling out for that Nathan Thompson mm-hmm. okay I, I, I think that's pretty easy for Caddis but fine um yeah I, I think a very good very good right back during the uh, 2011-12 obviously a leader and you know he's came back to a hero's argument and rightly so so sad it didn't end great during the Decanio spell but I think a very very good choice a right back um, very good captain uh, and then he was, he was useful during the um, you know he wasn't even though he was part of a relegation team he was one of the better performers during that season and you know no one would put relegation and blame at his door so so yeah an excellent choice at right back and I would suggest quite an easy one but some people disagree apparently here's some quotes from listeners who certainly agree with you the combination with Richie was as potent an attacking weapon as we've had the fallout with Paolo Di Canio was one of the lows of the decade as he could have been a proper club icon 
A great professional, unless you're Paolo Di Canio, and captain through his actions on the pitch, it seemed. Best ability out of all the potential options. Glad he's back, as he probably feels he has unfinished business at town. Enthusiastic reaction to his rejoining the club says it all. Excellent in defence and attack. Fine football in brain. Easily transferred to a higher level to be a talisman for Birmingham. Everything you could want from a fullback, good going forward and good defensively. And finally, led Swindon to their first league title since 1996. Never remember a bad game for him. Hard to argue with those. Yeah, absolutely not. And some people would apparently with Thompson. But yeah, I, I think it was, Palace is very good and definitely a, another pretty easy choice, I think, for this team of the decade. Next up, the left position in defence. A few nominations here and this particular person was also nominated elsewhere on the pitch played 107 times for Swindon scoring 11 goals it's Nathan Byrne yeah I think left back one of the first difficult ish um, positions to do I think there's no real absolutely standout I think Toffolo would have been the only real competition I think we've had a lot quite decent left backs don't mean any really superb superb ones over the course of decades but you know, Nathan Byrne, I think, was better as a right back as well. But certainly, he was a left back during his early period. I remember during, yeah, you know, Cooper's uh, first year and finished eighth. There was a bit of a debate between whether you were Team McEvoy or Team Byrne. I was Team Byrne during then, so he was definitely a perfectly capable left back and is, is a good choice for left back. But I think he was definitely uh, better when he was moved to right back during 14-15. It was, you know, sensational in in being a creative force and right wing back in that three five two, and then. Yeah, it also, like you said, it was a real shame we didn't really get anything out of him um, when he was moved to right wing and, and when um, you know he was snapped up by, by Wolves uh, and he did got a hat-trick on, on his first appearance at right wing. So we definitely could have got more out of Nathan Byrne. Um, shame we didn't, but he was very good. Uh, you know, left back, right back and right wing. Here's what the listeners said. Attacking versatile wing back with an eye for goal. Shaky as a fullback, but incredible in attacking positions. Shame we sold up just as he was starting to play in a really advanced position, in agreement with with Ben there. Those games against Sheffield United in the playoffs look even better in hindsight when you consider where they've gone since. Tough one, but through Byrne at left-back instead of picking Sheehan or McEverley. On his day, he was a world-beater. Great hat-trick against Bradford on the first day of the 2015-16 season. Good with both feet. That hat-trick against Bradford just seemed like the perfect sales pitch, didn't it? Yeah, I remember doing that summer. He was given the number 10 shirt and I was like, bloody hell, what's, what's going on here? And, and clearly he was moved, you know, away at the pitch. I think he even wanted to be a striker for a bit and was probably turned down, but he definitely got a stint at right wing. And, and yeah, like I've said, and like everyone said, <laughs> he got a hat-trick and seemed to be perfect. And then, you know, uh, Wolves swoop, swooped in. So yeah, really, really devastating that. And definitely could have seen a lot more Nathan Burden. He might have, uh, you know, on in another decade, he might have uh, rivaled Matt Ritchie for a place at right wing. But um yeah, I think better best the right back. Probably should have got more right wing, but I think left back is a, a, a good choice because he was perfectly fine at left back, and we've not had a, not had many stellar left backs uh, over the course of the 2010s. Just a lot of quite good ones. Let's move to the centre backs then, and I've got to say, based on the votes, these two both got their places relatively comfortably. The first person we'll talk about though played 72 times, scoring three goals. It's Gordon Greer. I'm surprised he's a comfortable in there because, uh, spoiler alert, my team of the decade is very similar to this one, but centre-backs are a bit different. Um, but very good, very good pairing anyway. But yeah, Gordon Greer, an absolute superb leader. And 
had that dodgy moment against Charlton where he got sent off. But apart from that, he was a, a, a very reliable figure to have around and and you know always useful for, from a set of pieces as well. And everything you want from a defender is a, a good leader and good distribution. And always got it away when needed as well. So yeah, uh, perfectly encapsulated in the centre back. I think Gordon Greer. Some mini reviews now. A leader took everything in his stride. Don't don't it always seem to go, but you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Compare Scott Cuthbert with and without Greer, and he's a sure pick. A fantastic leader in the dressing room, and his loss in the playoff final against Millwall and following season had a big impact, I think, on the team dynamic. His last-minute equaliser against Norwich at the county ground was a particular highlight. I agree there. His quality was shown in the clamour to sign him full-time after his loan spell brought assurance and guidance to the back line. It started to fall apart when he left. His transfer was as much a reason for our dreadful 2010-11 season as Painter and Austin leaving. And finally, a leader and a warrior kept us up in 2008-9, could head the ball in both boxes. Great goal against Norwich. He would be my captain. And this is my question, I suppose, to you. Is Caddis or Greer as the team captain? Well, you know my answer is because one's on my team a decade and one isn't. So uh, it's team Caddis for me. (laughs) I think it's going to be Greer. Our next (laughs) centre-back played 79 times for Swindon Town, scored eight goals. But he's largely remembered for being interviewed as an opposition player. Our centre-back, and comfortably so is Aidan Flint. I think, although I disagree with it, and he's not on my team, full credit to the listeners for putting him in, because, you know, every time Flint is mentioned, he's normally hated for, for the Bristol City move, and, you know, I, like I said I like I said earlier, I, I prefer to remember the footballers, and Aidan Flint was a very good defender, so I am gen- genuinely surprised that he's got him, because a lot of people have their, you know, their judgments clouded by by that move, so uh, credit for that, even though I do disagree with it. So, so well done there, but yeah, Flint, an excellent... Um, defender again and was alright in that League One relegation season obviously he came from Alfreton and needed a bit of bedding in but when he did play when he wasn't loaned back to Alfreton he was, he was good then and, and then really shone in, in 2011-12 when he was getting regular minutes and you know real leads at the, at the, at the back and, and good again uh, in the following season and although he's not particularly liked the Bristol City move I don't I don't hate him for that interview because it's a it's a really really stupid question from the Sky interviewer who's definitely looking for a headline and, and certainly got one so I don't really blame him for that, even if he did come across not quite not quite as nice, but Aiden Flint, the footballer, was an excellent defender and and uh, you know another key member of that 11-12 squad and, and 12-13 as well. Listeners' views. Flint was ace for us and everything else is irrelevant. Most threatening we've been at set pieces since Sean Taylor. Won a lot in the air and scored a few goals in his time. Improved loads at Swindon and even though he went to Bristol City, he brought us some money. Highlight Brentford away playoffs limbs. That was his last game as well, I think. And irrespective of his move to Bristol City, he was a leader on the pitch. Great aerial threat. It, it, it is an interesting selection. I kind of, kind of thought he had a place in all three of the teams. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Actually, he probably does. I think he's. I'm surprised he's getting the villain team. I think. I think people took that. I think they wanted to name him the worst eleven, and Flint wasn't a bad player. So uh, I, I think if people took you literally and, and did what you told them to, he definitely got on the villain team. Yeah. Uh, Andre is probably probably fine as well, and, and he's got into the team of the decade, not, uh, which is not not an awful choice. Don't agree with it. It's not it's not a bad choice. <laughs> he's a very good defender. So so yeah, I think you're right. They probably does fit into all three um, pretty perfectly. Let's move to the midfield then. So our first midfielder. 
carries on kind of controversially, but he's certainly in my 11. He played 139 times for Swindon. He scored eight goals. It's Yasser Kassim. Again, I'll, I'll, I'll give credit to the listeners for this one. I, again, not a name I expected to be in here because, again, when you mentioned Kasim, you you only get the negative stuff of, you know, he wasn't very good in the relegation season and didn't seem to be that bothered. And and I think you also get, when you mention sort of best players of the decade and say, yes, Kasim, you, you, you get scoffed at quite a lot as well, I, I tend to find. So I genuinely genuine surprised, but I'm chuffed he's in here. And um, yeah, I think Kasim, when he was up for it and, and good, was you know, probably the best player, one of the best players I've seen in my albeit sort of young um, time following Sindon as a fan and, and definitely a worthy person here was very good at, at breaking up play and, and dis- distributing the ball to Luongo or, or one of the wing backs and definitely a key uh, player during 14-15 especially but it was very good um, in, in 13-14 as well in, in keepers, keepers first season and wasn't it wasn't the best during the uh, 15-16 and 16-17 but I think he still played a, a very solid role during, during both those seasons generally and you know very good player as well I think it's it's broken into two, isn't it? There's Yasser Kassim, 2013 to 2015, or what some people would argue, January 2015, because obviously the Asia Cup exploits seem to derail Swindon's season somewhat because of him and Matt Luongo's fine performances there seem to tie them out. And then the seasons that people remember, 2015 to 17, and... I think people don't realise that he rocked up in 2013 because people say, oh, he was only good for six months, which is absolutely not the case. He was absolutely brilliant for Swindon for, I would say, over 70 games. And then there were the final two seasons, which didn't go to plan. But you shouldn't be punished on that, considering the amount of contributions he made previously. He was comfortably in the eleven. There, There's a little battle between the centre midfielders, but he was in comfortably. I'm glad about that. And like I said, I'm genuinely quite surprised at that. I don't think, think he would be. I think it would be, you know, another player will get onto in a second and then it would just be another and we could see him. So I'm just for that. And, you know, I think it's worth remembering as well that he came from Macclesfield. wasn't really playing for Macclesfield in the National League and then he came to spend it under keeper and was, was excellent. You know, a rookie player that turned up out of nowhere. So, yeah, that was great. And it actually looked a bit podgy as well. So that's I, I that's quite... right. That's right. He, there was a picture of him playing as a trialist for Swindon and the, the the picture isn't flattering. And we all kind of laughed and giggled when we saw that this guy, was he wasn't exactly, was it McNulty at Tramier? Um, yeah. He wasn't quite that, nowhere near that, in fact. But the angle was unflattering and he kind of like giggled and thought, well, what's this guy all about? And then suddenly when people started watching him and dictating and pulling pulling the strings, it was clear that he was going to be a very good signing indeed. Let's Let's get some of the listeners' views. Superb technically, kept things ticking over. Tailed off in his later Swindon career, but Luongo and his partnership ran games in a way I've not really seen at Swindon. What a man. Looked like a competition winner in the first pre-season game that I saw, then turned into the Iraqi Perlo. Loved watching him. I still don't know who's to blame for his demise, but having the Asia Cup in season is bloody idiotic and ruined one of our best modern era sides and the final one technically very good could dictate the pace of the game Yasser Kasim gets in the squad <laughs> I should mention that I'm pretty sure the Asian Cup relies on the uh, the Asian calendar rather than the European one so I don't think they can be blamed for that one but certainly um, rather than stupid it's definitely annoying and, and got in the way I, I resent a bit that him and Luongo tailed off in February and, and onwards but um, they certainly weren't, weren't quite as good but I, I, I do resent that quite a lot that they mm. tailed off completely but you know 
I'll start ranting at the listeners for a bit. Yeah. The, <laughs> ne- the next central midfield position was a close run thing. He won with one or two votes. It was that close. He played 175 times for Swindon. He scored nine goals. It's Simon Ferry. A lot of shocks in this eleven. I'm surprised to hear that's a close run thing. I thought he would have been one of the first names on the team sheet, given he was, you know, one of a good player to a fan favourite who everyone adores. So you know, surprising that that's that's so close run. But I'm glad he won because I definitely edge him over Douglas. And although Douglas was very good in, in 2010, he turned off a bit in the following season. And Ferry didn't. He was very good uh, in, in both seasons. Uh, even the relegation one again, you wouldn't put um, relegation at his door like Caddis. So that that was very good and. You know, was a key player for a lot longer in, in 11, 12 and 12, 13. So, yeah, one of the longest serving in this squad was Fodringham and, and was excellent in every season he was in and, and sadly left for, for Portsmouth at the end and, and the project didn't quite work there as they were trying to get back up. So, yeah, Simon Ferry, very popular figure uh, and very good and definitely deserves his place in this team of the decade. Yeah, the listeners said, always did the simple things right, never overcomplicated things or risked too much, great character as well. Didn't he go to the toilet during a match as he had the sh- don't know about that, but what a lovely contribution that was. <laughs> news to me, but he probably did it because it's him. So uh, happy to believe it, but news to me. Highly effective, hardworking, reliable and absolutely bonkers. And the final comment here, his personality often oddly hid the fact that he was an absolutely fantastic footballer, which I think is about right. Yeah, I think that last comment from the listeners was the best one. I think as much as we enjoy the personality, Simon Ferry was, was a very good footballer as well. And that, that forgotten maybe is, is too much, but certainly it's, it's um, undervalued, I think. And, and he, he was he was an excellent um, box-to-box midfielder that, that contributed in defence and attack and didn't score many goals. He was always a threat. And when he did score, it was a, a great occasion. And people loved that a little bit more because, you know, he didn't score very often and was a popular figure. And you can't not love a guy that, that danced with his pants after winning um, the league. So... Yeah, a very good, very good player and a, a player that people like as well because he's a, a character, should we say that? Our next midfielder, because this is a 4 3 3, so our final midfielder, in fact, played 102 times for Sweden, scored 14 goals. He made all but one of, of listeners' 11, so it's Massimo Luongo. I want the name for the person that didn't. That is a crime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Massimo Luongo would be my first name on a team sheet, or certainly, you know, top three, maybe behind Richie and Austin, perhaps, but certainly one of my, well, my, my favourite player during the, the last decade and probably of all time um, for Swindon and, yeah, sensational, and, and, and you can't say... Anything more than that really just dictated every game he was in. Obviously, people resent the Asia Cup a bit, but you know he got MVP in that and was player of the tournament for for Australia and scored in the final. So that shows how excellent he was for that. And you know he's just a superb player during during playoff seasons and and yeah, uh, probably the finest player I've seen play for Swindon in my um, you know like I said, albeit short time following the club. The listeners said Mass did everything: score, protect, get round the pitch, create the best all-round central midfielder we've had in a very long time. And it's no surprise he's gone on to have a very decent career at championship level, plus the Ballon d'Or nomination. No one could ever take that away from us. Box-to-box midfielder, too good for League One. In terms of pure technical class, one of the best I've seen in a town shirt. Our form afterwards leaves a bad taste, but his Asia Cup exploits were brilliant to enjoy. All-round midfielder, could win tackles, dribble past you, great passing ability and chip in with the odd goal. He's done pretty well for himself as well. Challenging Tim Cahill for Australia's greatest of all time. Some town fans weren't always convinced by him, but he could link up play brilliantly. 
had an eye for goal and directed a lot on the pitch if you kept your eyes on him rather than following the ball. Perfect choice. And uh, yeah, although he's brilliant for Swindon and it, it deserves, uh, you know, place for his performance in the Swindon share, I've always very much enjoyed just the little, uh, you know, name checks you'd always get. And you know, he's part of World Cup squads with brackets for and turn on the squad list and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And a commentator would always give it a nice mention. And you now I recall being at uni and, and watching those Asia Cup streams at like two o'clock in the morning uh, to, to watch him against Bahrain or whoever it was. So yeah, I always enjoyed his international exploits and him giving Swindon a little nice off the pitch for him as well. And obviously just a brilliant footballer when he was, when he was in Swindon. Let's go on to the forwards finally now. We'll start with the man on the right. Only him and Wes Fodderingham were nominated in every 11. 129 appearances, 27 goals. One of the saddest departures in Swindon Town history. Certainly one of the most important up there with Jan Agafjortoft in modern times, I would say. Let's keep this happy, though. It's Matt Ritchie. Yeah, another banker that, n- that no one can disagree with in their right mind, and, and at least no one has. That's, that's, a, that's a relief. And yeah, Matt, you can't argue with Matt Ritchie being in, in right wing, definitely their best um, winger Swindon have had, and arguably the best player over the cost over the cost of the last decade. So yeah, nice easy choice. Player of the year during that um, League Two winning season. Didn't win club player of the year, which is quite surprising. But he won League Two player of the year, and and you know was was superb during that, and a winger that was. I think only one or two goals off being top goal scorer behind Benson and Connell, so that says a lot. And was always good for a twenty-yard screamer if Swindon can, um, you know, break down a, a resolute League Two defence. And then he was, you know, even better in League One. I think he's got a hat trick or at least two against against Bournemouth, completing four 0 when Bournemouth were rubbish. And then you know he's, he's on course for for being you know, League One player of the year as well. And sadly, you know, things didn't quite end as we'd have liked uh, due to finances and. He, he even looked good by that, and, but he's gone on to, from strength to strength in, in the Premier League with, with Newcastle and Bournemouth. So, so yeah, it's, a, a, like you said, a very sad exit, but definitely uh, the player of the decade, or, or one of them. Listeners' views, the shining light in some poor teams and the canary down the mine at the end of the Paolo Di Canio reign. His interview at AFC Bournemouth will always stick with me as a glass doors moment in our recent history. Best player of the decade, had everything. Decent on the left, unplayable on the right, will always be our what-might-have-been moment if Andrew Black had held his nerve for another couple of months. A fantastic player would run at you, great shot on him. He should have been sold for much more money than we got. Best player in League 2 and probably in League 1 in those Paolo Di Canio years. Cutting inside and letting Cadiz overlap with Ferry in the middle was amazing to see. You're not wrong there. When he was moved to the right-hand side, he was almost unplayable at times. A great left foot. He could almost score from anywhere. Great link-up play with Cadiz and Ferry. Also deceptively good in the air. Possibly the most accomplished footballer at the county ground since the turn of the century. Still playing at the highest level and a hell of a spring to score from headers for someone who isn't the tallest. His departure was the straw that broke De Canio's back. And finally, you wonder what might have been if we were able to keep him and also De Canio that January. It's a very sombre end to that. <laughs> yeah, hard to disagree. Hard to disagree with any of that. And definitely, yeah, like 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 one of the listeners said, a sliding door moment, which uh, was very sad. And I don't think we're still not over it, are we? As a kid, it was Fjortoft and Sean Taylor, where it was like, well, we're letting our best players go for minimal money here. But the Richie one, it's just one of those moments where we were letting him go to a division rival 
it was not much money. He looked miserable on the unveiling. He didn't want to go. It was just, it was just everything about it was just icky. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a sign that things weren't going right when I think Decania quoted twenty million for him in one of his jokey presses <laughs> in about September, October, and then you know five hundred grand a, f- a few months later. So yeah, an absolute sucker punch and. Yeah, had to be done, but no one likes it. And like I said, uh, no, we're still not over it. And uh, it still hurts whenever we see you know, pictures of that and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, a, re- a real, a real second, and definitely should have been this Swindon for a, a long, a lot longer and be an even bigger legend, a legend than he already is. On the left of this forward line is a player who played 44 times for Swindon, scored eight goals. I think I underestimated his worth because he got an extraordinary amount of votes it's Alex Pritchard we can chalk this one up as another nice surprise for me didn't didn't think he'd make it Uh, I thought someone else would get a nod but yeah would be would be mine as well and is in mine so yeah delighted that Alex Pritchard's in I think a lot of people didn't quite warm to him I think a lot of people have problems with low knees and that's that's fair enough but definitely one of the best if not the best low knee we've had since the 2010s maybe even the 10th millennium Um, so yeah definitely excellent during, during his spell Brilliant from free kicks, would always create, and yeah, it looked like a, a championship player that was in League One, and yeah, he definitely played like it, and made a lot of defenders look like idiots, frankly, and was 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 brilliant at that. So yeah, I'm really glad Pritchard made it, and, and he got a, a according to you, a significant amount of votes. So chuffed with that. Listeners' views: dead ball specialist, great vision and creativity, unpredictable with massive potential, and a great playmaker and dribbler who got some great goals. Ryan Mason arrived with the big reputation, but Alex Pritchard always impressed me. Had it all going forward. His goal against QPR at Loftus Road, a real highlight. And finally, breakthrough season was with Town, pinpoint free kicks, and always capable of something special. Don't just give any of that. So, um, yeah, glad to see a lot of love for Alex Pritchard. Our final player of the 11, the centre-forward, scored 37 times in only 65 appearances for Swindon. We'll go straight into the listeners' views, and you'll be able to guess who this is. Burst onto the scene from non-league, scored for fun. He set utterly unreasonable expectations for every player we signed from non-league. Sorry, Jermaine Hilton. Obvious <laughs> choice, probably for most, the fairy tale story. Scored all types of goals and helped us get to the playoff final. Scored wherever he's gone, except maybe the tail end of Southampton. Not all prolific non-league punts pay off. Hello, Lloyd Apara. But this guy was a born poacher. We were going nowhere fast until he and Billy Painter clicked as a unit. Unbelievable goal scorer with tremendous work rate. A scorer of all types of goals. Should have been capped for England. It's Charlie Austin. Yeah, I think you said there's only two players that got um, got 100% nominations and Austin wasn't one of them. So, again, I want names for who I've done. Because I think he's I down to I'd... one as well. I think he's down to one, yeah. There was one person didn't vote for him. Weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, I don't know. I think I've said about five persons on the team sheets, but Austin would definitely be in, in that category for, you know, clearly the far and away the best striker we've had since uh, since uh, you know, 2010. I think some decent ones in you know Jose and a certain Aaron Doyle, but Charlie Austin was definitely the uh, the best of those and deserves it for, like people have said, a, a fairy tale story and came from you know seemingly nowhere and Paul Town, you know, had a few. Backdoor training sessions that people might have seen, or, or and you know was were excited for, but 
he finally got his first start against Carlisle, scored three minutes into um, three minutes into that, and didn't stop, didn't stop scoring. So, yeah, clearly a, an excellent player. Shame he had got that bit of a shoulder injury that that took a few months out of him. And you know, Bernie were never far behind getting a bid in. But you know, when he when he was playing and when he was fully fit, he was he scoring every week pretty much, um, without exception, and was part of those iconic games at, at Leeds. Um, and, and the playoffs and that sort of thing. So yeah, an, an excellent player and, and definitely uh, an easy um, choice for striker. We're talking about glass door, sliding door moments, the bubble. If he gets that in again, where Swindon would be now, nobody knows. Yeah, when the Wembley pitch wasn't to be relied on, it's, it's a carpet now, and it definitely wasn't during its first couple of years. And and sadly, we found that the hard that the hard boy in 2010, and you know, a devastating moment. Austin himself, uh, as he said on a certain podcast, is is convinced he would have scored. A second one to win the game. Not sure about that, but I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't disagree with him too much because if he wanted to score a goal, he normally he normally would. And it was crucial in Swindon being being that good in, in 2009-10 and the first half of 2010-11. Um, so I think he even got a top scorer that season, even though he left in January. So that that shows uh, you know how much we missed him when he left. So yeah, you know what what can you say about Charlie Austin? Just uh, hard to find many bona fide legends at a club like Swindon with its. Players not hanging around for too long, but Austin's only here for about you know two years, eighteen months, and he's definitely a bona fide legend. Nice patient football from Swindon Town. Now the delivery, saved by Elliott on the follow-up though. Matt Ritchie equalises for Swindon Town, and that goal has been coming. And he took the words right out of my mind. So if we're talking about player of the decade, I think the four main names that come from it based on the votes, Fodringham, Ritchie, Luongo, and Austin. Who gets it? <laughs> I don't want that question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the listeners are right in saying that those are the four. If you're going to do a mini short list, and you know, I, I tend to go for the unpopular choice and maybe the controversial choice. So I say, I say, uh, Maslow won't go for his for his time, but I think Richie and Austin were a- a- excellent as well. And obviously, they've gone into brighter careers. I'm, I'm disappointed that Luongo's only been you know keep your and Sheffield Wednesday, but I think Luongo is definitely my favourite player during this decade and arguably the best. But if anyone wants to say. Richie Austin, I will not argue because uh, they are perfectly good nominations and uh, I didn't want to pick one from that four. Matt Ritchie gets my vote. Ben, in comparison, what was your team of the decade? Well, the listeners have done brilliantly. They've got nine of my 11, so the only the only two changes I'm making is the centre-back, centre-back pairing of... Uh, I've gone for Alan McCormack and Jack Stevens. So, although I didn't disagree with Gordon Greer or Aidan Flint, I'd probably just have, have my centre-back pairing. But generally... Uh, the listeners have done really well. The goalkeeper, right back, left back, midfield three and forward three that I've all agreed on. Fantastic. And both McCormack, McCormack got a lot of votes. Stevens was on the bench for a lot of people, as was McCormack in fairness. So I think they got, especially Alan McCormack, he had the same level of votes as some of the big end 11 players, but most of them were the number 12, unfortunately. To end this episode, Adrian Kesey challenged you to name a team of the decade by using a player from every season. So instead of like all of the ones that we've got there, you've got to pick a player that represented town in each of those seasons. What have you gone for? Well, I'm pretty happy with my 11, but there's a few that I wouldn't be my team of the decade, put it that way. But I think I'm, I'm pretty impressed and, and happy with myself with what I've got. So I've got Wes in goal. I think that's definitely an easy choice there. Even though Vigaroo was on my short list, I had to have Wes in. Uh, a back four of Noyle, Nathan Thompson, Luke Wolfenden and Zeki Fryers, midfield three of Rowan Ince, Simon Ferry and Maslowongo, and then I've kept the forward three of uh, Matt Ritchie, Charlie Austin and Alex Pritchard. 
Lovely. And I challenge listeners to send us your equivalents of that. And there we have it. A team for the decade, a player for the decade, some villains and some underrated as well. God help us, Ben, if we're doing this in 10 years' time. <laughs> yeah, I think if we did a team of 20 years, that'd be really difficult. But uh, if we're still doing this podcast in 10 years' time, uh, a team of the 2020s will hopefully be a difficult choice with, full of good years rather than a lot of bad ones. Um, and hopefully we got off to a perfect start with the 2020s with, with, it, end, with it starting pretty well. Richie Wellens' team uh, pissing League 2, as they say. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Fingers crossed indeed. Ben, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening. All prolific non-league punts playoff. Playoff? Ah! Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.